Good morning to everybody. It is great to see everybody today. It's wonderful to have our visitors with us and, and some from our radio program listeners. We appreciate you, but others who are traveling or from the area, you are a blessing to us by being here, an encouragement to us, and we pray that you will be blessed by being here as well. And please do remember those from our regular number who are on the prayer list and those who are traveling, keep them in your prayers, please. We appreciate and we're so thankful that God has blessed us with the Bristow family and the Hers family who have expressed their desire to be a part of the congregation here at Sunny Slope. And again, another blessing for us. Um, I want us to continue our series right now. And by the way, I do want to compliment you on your singing this morning. It's been beautiful, beautiful. Praise God. We have been going through the first couple of lessons in a series that I designed that I entitled The Devil's Worst Day. So we talked about the very first one. We can read about that in, in Revelation chapter 12 and kind of zoom in on verses 7 through 9, but it actually goes back to the first verse of that particular chapter from the Revelation. And it talks about how apparently the devil tried to lead a rebellion against God in heaven. I see that, I think I understand that, and we're to understand that as pre-humanity, before God ever created mankind. But we're not told the exact time frame. But apparently the devil thought he could take over God's throne, and so he led some other angels in a battle against Michael and his angels, basically against God, and of course he lost. Lost badly, and he and his followers were cast to the earth, and this is where they do their job. Now, I've said that up until this point in time, that was probably the worst day ever for the devil because he was cast out. He was cast out of heaven. There was no place found for him there any longer, the text tells us, and this is where his playground is right now. He wants to bring mankind down. The only way he can hurt God is to bring mankind who were created in God's own image away from God and lead them into sin. And then we looked at the second of the worst days of the devil. And that was in Eden, after God had created the first man and the woman and put them in the garden that I, I think we can understand as paradise on earth, probably. Nearest thing we've ever seen to it, at least. There in Eden, and he prepared that garden for them with all the resources that they needed to sustain their physical life. And even put in that garden one tree that was so special, it was referred to as the tree of life. And as long as they continued to eat the fruit of that tree, they would be blessed with life on an ongoing basis, even on this earth. And the devil, he must have thought he really got God that time because he came down and through temptation, he lured that first woman into sinning by disobeying God, by eating a fruit of a different tree that God had warned them, don't touch that one. That's the tree of the knowledge of good, of good and evil. Because the day you touch that or the day you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Now die spiritually, but then begin to go, down, go through the process of dying physically as well. And so the devil was successful in luring Eve to eat of that fruit and thereby disobey God and use her to lure her husband into doing the same thing. And they became sinners. And the consciousness of sin then was with mankind. And all of the consequences of sin as well. God expelled them from the garden, so they no longer had access to the tree of life on this earth. It's there in heaven now, waiting for us for all of eternity. But they were going to die physically. Sin, it says, in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, separates us from God. And so 
They died spiritually at that time. They became sinners, and everything changed that day. In fact, we might say in that moment when they disobeyed God. The devil must have thought, I got him back, I got him back, I beat him this time, except for verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, where God said to the devil in the form of the serpent, I'm going to send my son. Now you have to understand, he's talking about Jesus coming as our redeemer, as our savior. And he said, you're going to bruise his heel all right. You're going to cause him some problems when he comes to this earth, but he's going to bruise your head ultimately. In other words, going to bring you down. So another of the devil's worst days. I want us to look further. When we're thinking of the devil, a lot of people, they, I don't think they have a realistic image of him. If you could imagine whatever would be in your mind's eye that you could conjure up in your thinking, your mind's eye, what would be the worst, most dangerous person or being that I could ever possibly confront? One that I mean ought to send chills up and down my spine, make my blood run cold. One I would never want to have to be, invo be involved with or, or have to deal with in any way. The devil would be worse than that one. He is our mortal enemy. He is seeking our eternal condemnation. He is mean. He is deadly. And he is determined. Determined. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, as we've been looking at, the apostle Peter wrote about that devil. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. We can resist him as long as we stay in the faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So as long as we walk by God's word, holding his hand in our hand, then God will never let go of ours. And James goes on and says in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, if we submit to God, if we resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. But now we've got to come near God. We've got to walk with God. We've got to come to him and he'll draw near to us. We've got to no longer live in the sin that the devil keeps tempting us to become involved in, James goes on and says, but we need to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. And so when we do that and live consistently in that discipline, then we can beat the devil. But he doesn't give up. He does not give up. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, we have to always be on guard. He's always looking for openings in our lives. Now again, we're talking about the most deadly, the most mean, the most hateful, and you can add all kinds of other descriptive terms. That's our enemy, the devil. There's nothing nice about him. There's nothing cute or cuddly. I don't think we can look for any kind of even one scintilla of goodness in him. He is about our destruction, and that's the only way that he can hurt God, because he was cast out of heaven. Now, in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, the apostle Paul says, don't give place to the devil. Don't give him any room in your life, even in your thinking. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John the Apostle assures us because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the devil. And he says, you're of God, little children. He's writing to true Christians and have overcome them. 
And we can overcome the devil by walking with God faithfully and obediently and consistently. Now, I want us to understand also that we're promised that God will always be with us as long as we're always with God. And I'm not talking about just making a statement here and there saying, oh, I love God, I believe in God, I have faith in God. I'm talking about living the life of Christianity, of godliness, of faithfulness to God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, the Hebrews writer wrote, Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And as long as we hold on to that promise and live under its umbrella, faithfully, dedicated, obediently, we can know that God will always be there with us and he will give us the victory. But the devil did not give up after he lost that war in heaven. He did not give up after he lost again and had another bad day in the Garden of Eden. When God said, you're not going to win, I'm gonna send my son, he's gonna to die to pay the price for the guilt of their sins who you just led in, into sin. But also the sins of all humanity. There came a day, however, because the devil does not give up. There came a day when almost every single person within humanity was walking with the devil. Now remember Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. After God had created everything else that he had created, if he had, after he had set the earth in order, separated the waters from the dry land, after he had hung the moon and the stars into the sky and put all the constellations up there, after he had created every vegetation and every living animal and being upon the face of the earth, he came to what I, can understand, what I understand is the crown of his creation, and that was mankind. And he made man absolutely unique, and then he said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And I believe that means with a soul. We have, and we are unique in this regard, nothing else in the animal kingdom has a soul but we have that spiritual being within our physical bodies. And in that sense, we understand the difference, the true difference between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness, between godliness and ungodliness. We understand that. It is inherent within us, basically. We're created in the image of God. And so the devil must take delight when he can pull a person away from God who is created in God's image and hurt God in that way. I have a difficult time thinking about what it must have been like in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, the devil had become successful in leading almost, and I don't know how to emphasize this enough, Almost every single human being on the face of the earth into sin. 
And not just stubbing their toe now and then, but continual sin all day long, every day of their lives. The text tells us in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And another translation for that is only evil all the day. The understanding being all day long. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. What a horrible image that is, that God looked down upon his creation of humanity and said, I'm sorry that I ever made them. They have turned to so totally away from me. Difficult for me to really fully grasp what it must have been like living on this earth at that time as a human being. I think about, by way of illustration, perhaps the book of Judges. After Joshua had led the Israelites into the promised land, led them in the battles through which they conquered that land, and those people had been faithful to God during all of that. And verse 7 of Judges chapter 2 says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. In all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel, leading them through the wilderness, feeding them miraculously day in and day out, blessing them so that all through that journey, that 40 years or so in the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. They saw all of those signs. Some of them had been alive as young children to see the Red Sea part and let them escape their pursuing enemies of the Egyptian army and then saw God close up those walls of water over that army and destroy it. They had been there when the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant set foot into the Jordan River and God again held up the waters and let them cross into the promised land. Verse 8 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of God, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of the inheritance at Timnatheres, or Timnath, uh, Timnatheres, on the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, and this is incredible who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served idols. How incredible. We're talking about within one generation, maybe two, and I'm talking about 30 to 60 years. The people turned away from God. They started worshiping idols, which are nothing, just images, carvings, statues, moldings, inanimate. How did that happen? I think obviously we can conclude that one major factor in that digression was the parents 
failed to continually teach their children and grandchildren about God and his word. So I simply use that by way of maybe illustrating how in the world did all of humanity, almost every single person on all the face of the earth that was inhabited at that time, turn away from God? And we're, again, we're not talking about just making mistakes here and there. Their, the intents and thoughts of their heart was only evil all day long. The parents, the grandparents, must have stopped teaching about God way back along the line. There's an old saying that so as, as the home goes, so goes the nation. We could expand that, I think, and say, as the home goes, so goes the world. We have a divinely appointed responsibility as parents to teach our children about God diligently, forthrightly. And undoubtedly that must have, that ball must have just been dropped by parents all over the world at that time. And probably for some generations. I can't imagine, can you, can you think in your mind, we just tend to read over that particular text of scripture in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 7, and we, it must have been bad back then. It was more evil than we have ever experienced or seen or imagined on a total scale, basically. Every single body alive, with the exception of just eight, you could not trust being around and turn your back on them. Every thought and intent of their heart was only evil continually. What a horrible, horrible image. The Apostle John wrote in John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation and Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking about the response of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, to him being so negative, rejecting him as their savior. The savior that they had been reading about and studying about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the Old Testament scriptures, and here he is, I've come, God sent me, and they rejected him for the most part. And so he's talking about that specific situation, but think about that principle in the broader application of what we're looking at in Genesis chapter 6 in Noah's day, why God decided to destroy the world. In verse 19, John chapter 3, this is the condemnation, Jesus says, that the light has come into the world, speaking of himself, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Obviously, by Noah's day, mankind loved the darkness of wickedness and evil and sinfulness more than they loved God. In fact, 
I wonder if they even knew about God anymore. What a horrible image, horrible image. And God then decided to destroy mankind. In chapter 7 and verse 4, he said, For after seven more days, and this was after Noah and his sons had completed the construction of the ark, and God waited for a period of a hundred or more years while the ark was being constructed to give mankind further time to come to their understanding that he was about to destroy the world because of their sin. He was giving them time to learn and repent, and nobody did, the text seems to indicate. So after God says, the ark's complete. He says, after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. The devil must have exalted. He must have jumped up and down. He must have not just giggled, but broke out in laughter, boisterous laughter, and thinking in his hateful heart, I've beaten him this time. These people whom he created in his image to follow him with a soul, I brought them away from them and I brought them to destruction. And he's going to destroy them all because of what I did against him. He must have thought I really beat him this time. All of humanity, created in God's own image, had turned away from God and was living in outright boisterous sin. Oh, except for one family. Just eight souls, but precious souls. Noah and his family were the exceptions. Were the exceptions. In Genesis chapter six, beginning with verse eight. But, what a great transition word. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and notice the description of Noah. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Only one other person was identified in Scripture as having walked with God, and that was righteous Enoch. In that statement right there, that kind of walked with God. Enoch, God did not even allow Enoch to die physically. He just took him. And here was this statement now attributed to Noah. Noah walked with God. What a great epitaph that would be on anybody's tombstone after they have passed from this earth. So-and-so walked with God. You couldn't say any more, anything more gracious, anything more descriptive than that about a person. If it was true. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You see, it's not just one statement about how bad humanity had become. It's over and over again in this general text. So God looked on the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Can you see the devil all of a sudden jumping up and down, shouting with joy, maybe cursing God from the depths of his existence. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to spare mankind through you, Noah, and your family. 
And then the devil's caught speechless. He thought he won. But it turned out to be another really bad day for the devil. Another bad day. Humanity wasn't finished. A small remnant. But God can take a small remnant and build mighty peoples. He can take a small remnant and build his church. A small remnant had remained faithful to God, just eight souls, but God can do wonders with small numbers. God gave mankind another chance, and it turned out to be another really bad day for the devil. He had failed once again. Through Noah, God gave humanity another chance, a fresh start. Genesis chapter 7, verse 23. So he destroyed all living things that were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. But they remained alive. In chapter 9 and verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So humanity was coming back. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, who formerly were disobedient, referring to the people of Noah's day, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, giving them time to repent, but they did not, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, and did not spare, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight souls, or eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Look at that again, identity ascribed to Noah by God through his inspired writer, Peter. A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. The devil certainly is powerful in his devices. There's no question about that. The population of the world lies largely under his sway. John, the apostle, wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under his sway or his influence of the wicked one. We can see that all around us, can't we? Not just in this country, but all around the world. But certainly, we can see it staring us in the face in our own land as we go through life day in and day out. The devil is referred to as variously as the ruler of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Well, again, the world is under his sway. People who more and more are turning away from godliness and compromising their soul's salvation and walking with the devil as he leads them into sin. He's also referred to as the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to Christians here. They had been transformed. They had been baptized into Christ. Their sins had been washed away by the blood of Jesus as they were buried under the waters of baptism. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's even referred to, the devil's even referred to as the God of this age, lowercase g, not putting him on a level of God, the true God, the true creator, but based upon how the world has followed the lead of the devil. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, whose minds the God, lowercase g, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. No wonder, no wonder. John warns us as faithful followers of God, but even those who have not yet become Christians, here's the warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If the ways of this world is our main focus and driving force and we live our lives day in and day out, then John says, then you're not walking in the love of God. You're not demonstrating your love to God. And then he goes on and says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We think about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. That's after the flood. Generations after the flood. And once again, in that particular city, the wickedness of mankind had become so great that even 10 righteous souls could not be found within those borders, within those city limits, within that area. And God destroyed those cities as well as he, as he had destroyed mankind in Noah's day. But Noah, Noah set an example for us. He set an example of righteousness through which we can beat the devil. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Can you imagine how the devil must have tried to work on Noah's emotions, his psyche? He's, he and his sons are building that ark. Five years go by. Ten years go by, 50 years go by. Can you imagine the devil whispering in his ear, so to speak? What a fool you are. You've been working on this for 50 years. Nothing's happened. He keeps building, keeps building for 50 more years or even maybe a little longer than that. And so being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household and of humanity, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Righteous Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and by faith he simply followed God's instructions. And we can effectively resist the devil by walking with God faithfully. As we said in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee from you, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. If we walk with God, we beat the devil. And every day we walk with God, it's another bad day for the devil. Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God, Genesis 5 and verse 24. God sent Christ. Notice the reason behind God sending Jesus into this world. Laid out by the Apostle Paul in, Gal in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And you can 
go all the way back to Genesis 3 and verse 15. And God's warned the devil, told him, you're going to have it won. You've lost. You've lost because I'm going to send my son as the redeemer, as the savior. And here Paul says, God did exactly that. Jesus came as our, as our savior. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, as we're baptized into Christ, notice again what happens. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Transformed, as the apostle Paul put it, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Made new, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Born again from a spiritual perspective, as Jesus told Nicodemus has to happen in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Con delivered us from the power of darkness. That's from the influence of the devil. The condemnation that he will lead us into if we'll walk in sinfulness and wickedness during our lives, always. And conveyed us, transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And that's the church. That's the church. Well, you can give the devil another bad day personally by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Jesus extended the great invitation in Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't expect the impossible from you. God has made the way. I can't imagine the exaltation of the devil in the days of Noah when God declared, I'm going to destroy the world. But then, except for Noah and his family, the preacher of righteousness, and the devil had another bad day. If you need to come to your Lord this evening or this morning, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith openly in him as God's son and your Lord and Savior, then you can be buried with him in baptism. The blood that he shed on the cross can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. You can be reborn spiritually. You can be made new spiritually. You've got a new start on life. If you need to study about that some more from God's word, please ask us. We'll make that happen. If you need the prayers of the church, again, all you need to do is step forward and let us know so we can pray with you and for you. Maybe you have become a follower of God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been buried with him in the waters of baptism, but you slipped back away. The devil got into your head again. God's waiting to forgive you as you repent of that and ask his forgiveness in prayer through Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to come, if you need to talk to somebody, please don't hold back. Don't let the devil win as we stand together and sing.